enormous privilege to be able to read God's Word to you this morning on this Easter Sunday. And uh, you guys are my church family, and uh, it's so special to be celebrating Easter Sunday with you guys. Take a look around at one another. 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection, here we are, still hoping, still trusting, still looking to him. Right, we're reading from Matthew 28, um, verses 1 to 10. And then we're going to skip a passage and then read 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, and as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And verses 16 to 20, the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Oh, good. I remember the first time I heard that statement answer thing. I ha I'd never heard it before. Someone came up to me and said, he is risen. I went, yes, <laughs> he is. Uh, apparently there's a... A statement and a refrain, and you guys know that well, so that's excellent. A couple of things before we get started. Uh, firstly, big thank you to the tech team who uh, every week we turn up here and this fantastic setup with so many bells and whistles, but sometimes the bells and whistles don't work and they frantically rush around and, and get things together and they've, they've got us a projector this morning that's working, but we've had to close the curtain for the... The light was too great for the little projector we've got. Uh, I would have loved to have the, the light streaming in on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, so it's not closed because we like the dark. It's just closed because of the little projector. But doing a wonderful job, thank you. Uh, we only notice the tech people when something goes wrong, don't we? Yeah, it's, it's kind of... It's, it's a sad reality, but doing a great job. And also, how amazing is this? pop of colour and life in the flowers. I th was that Deb? Oh, 
Beautiful. I love, I love the flowers. Fantastic. Um, all right. So, uh, and also you may notice that, or I noticed that when I just recently, uh, there's no communion on the tables this morning. Uh, so I'm guessing that we're not having communion, perhaps because it was already celebrated down at the beach earlier this morning. So I hope that doesn't put you off. Um, but uh, it's, it's a, great, a great celebration that we have as Christians uh, on Good Friday and Resurrection, and indeed in this church every Sunday pretty much, uh, to celebrate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's fantastic. Now, I understand that on Good Friday, I wasn't here, uh, I was at Playford on Good Friday, but I understand on Good Friday you had hot cross buns, is that correct? Yes, were they good? Yeah, I missed out. Uh, and at Playford, our tradition is we have Good Friday, uh, we have hot cross buns on Resurrection Sunday. So they're having hot cross buns at Playford this morning, and guess what? I'm here, so I miss out. Somehow I organised it so I missed out twice. I don't know how that happened. But it's okay, because if I'm being really honest, I started having hot cross buns in January. Uh, I was shocked, surprised, and pleasantly pleased uh, that not long after Christmas, hot cross buns appeared. It's a bit weird though, isn't it? It's a bit, I'm, I'm wondering what's going to appear in the shops on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not sure what the next thing is, but something's bound to pop up. Um, it's a bit weird. And I'm not sure how you feel about, uh, you know, the, the commercialism of Christmas and Easter getting bigger and bigger every year. Uh, it seems to become more and more about what we can sell and activities that we can do. Uh, and for a lot of people, less and less about Jesus. But if you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, why would a, a society and a culture where so many people don't really believe in Jesus, why would they stop and celebrate Christmas and Easter? If you don't believe it, what's the point of pretending? What's the point of pretending? But I know, for many people, and I'm guessing for, for most of you who are here today, you're here in church because you do believe. You do believe in Jesus, his birth, his miraculous birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection that we celebrate today. But I want to get us to think for a minute. Is it, is it something from 2,000 years ago, just something to remember and to reflect on, just to stop for a minute? Is it just something to stop for a minute and just think about? Or is the resurrection of Jesus important for us today? Is it just a nice thought of something that happened 2,000 years ago? Or is it relevant and real and important for us today? My question for us is this, this morning. How does the resurrection of Jesus change your life? How does the resurrection of Jesus change your life? We're looking at Matthew 28. Uh, we've been going through a series the last couple of months, uh, Sermons from the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've got one more to go. That's next week. Uh, so I thought we'd stick in Matthew with our Resurrection Sunday uh, message, Matthew 28, uh, which Nigel has read out for us. The story of the resurrection of Jesus from Matthew 28. After the Sabbath... Toward the dawn 
of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We can wake up on Resurrection Sunday and just be thinking, resurrection, how fantastic, how amazing, and it is. But let's stop for a moment and think of these women waking up on that Sunday morning and what they had been going through the last two days. They were, they were there a week ago when Jesus rode into town on the donkey and people were praising him. And perhaps they thought that was the moment that Jesus would be crowned king and everything would change. And then very quickly during the week, things changed. And the women were uh, witnesses. They were there. They, what they hadn't seen, they'd heard the stories of Jesus in the garden, the, the Passover meal, his arrest, the trial, the beatings, the accusations. They'd seen all this stuff and they'd watched as he was crucified. This one that they knew, this one that they'd had meals with, that they'd seen and touched and listened to, the one uh, that their best friend perhaps, their teacher, the one they looked up to, the one they put all their hopes in and they see him abused and hanging on a cross. And he dies. And they take him down. And they put him in a tomb. And they seal it with the heavy stone. I don't know what they were expecting to find on that Sunday morning. They went early, before dawn. It's still dark. They're walking towards the tomb. Uh, other Gospels tell us they're carrying spices and things to anoint the body, but there's this stone on the tomb, and the, I don't know how they thought they were going to get in. And their emotions of, of sorrow and grief and fear as they make their way to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake just to add to the fear and the panic, perhaps. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. I can imagine, uh, well, it tells us what the guards had uh, experienced. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were just like, what? The women come. And they see the stone rolled away and the angel seated on the tomb. His appearance like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. I can imagine even more fear. What is going on? This is not what they expected. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Incredible 
images for these women to encounter that incredible emotions, incredible sights and sounds and the whole thing. I, I find it hard to even put myself in their, in their sandals that morning. And yet in that moment, their sorrow and their grief and their fear, there was a glimmer of hope. He's not here. He has risen. Don't be afraid. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They still had this sense of fear, but growing inside them was not just fear, but great joy. They, they must have believed what the angel had said, so they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, as they were going, Jesus met them. What? Jesus met them and said, Greetings. We, we don't talk like that, do we? No one came up to me this morning and said, Greetings. I wonder, I have no idea really. I wonder what, if he was Australian, what Jesus would have said. G'day! How are you? It's great to see you. And they came up and they took hold of his feet. You have to get pretty low to take hold of someone's feet. They fell to the ground, grabbed his feet, and they worshipped him. I can't help but thinking as they took hold of his feet, they saw the nail holes which had held him to the cross. And they worshipped him. And Jesus says to them the same thing, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's no more reason to fear. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Matthew doesn't say what the women do next. It has this little digression about the guards and the Romans and that. I'm going to leave that for a minute. But they must have gone and told the disciples, what uh, the angel and what Jesus had said to them because verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They believed. And we know from some of the other gospel stories that there were other encounters and, and people met Jesus and disciples saw him. And so they go to Galilee full of expectation full of hope, what's happening next? Jesus has been speaking so much about the kingdom that is coming and, and what he's come to do. Is this the moment? They go to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him, they worshipped him. I love this little phrase, but some doubted. It's so human and it's okay. Some doubted. There were doubts mixed with their hope and their fear mixed with their joy and expectation and all these things and their worship. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a fantastic story. It's, it's a well-known story. It's a story that's told and retold every year at Easter time. And in many churches, it's recounted more than just at Easter time. It's a well-known story, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if it's just a story, if it's just a fable, a fairy tale, something just to enjoy the story or to, to learn a little lesson from, it, it's just not a very good story. I mean, what's the moral of the story if it's just a story? You can come back from a really bad situation. Life's not fair and you might be unjustly treated, but it'll turn out okay in the end. It kind of falls flat if that's all there is. I mean, realistically, if this is not a true account of a supernatural rising from the dead, then this is not a relatable story and it has nothing for us. And it's not even that inspiring. If Jesus was simply a martyr for something that he believed in, then there's something seriously wrong with this message. Jesus, he told his disciples that he was the resurrection and the life. He said that he was the light of the world, the bread of life, the living water. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He told them that he would die and that he would rise again. And if he didn't actually rise from the dead, then he's a liar. And his disciples who knew that he had died went on living a complete lie for no good reason at all. Only the actual physical resurrection of Jesus can explain what happened to his disciples next. Why they were so committed to his ways and his message that they themselves would give up their lives to live for him. You know, I love, I've talked about sport, I've talked about footy before. I love sport. I love watching things like the Olympics when they come around. And, and as much as I love watching the, the actual events and the athletes competing, uh, one of the things I love is the interviews and the backstories of the athletes. When they interview them, when they do a little expose on their life and you hear the backstory. I love hearing the why. Why do they do what they do? Why a professional athlete dedicates so much of their life to achieving success. Hours and hours of practice every day. Dedication, commitment, training, literal blood, sweat and tears. And why do they do it? Usually their story includes dreams of success, stories of other people who have inspired them to keep on going. But when you kind of boil it all down, my guess is that every single one of them believes that what they're doing 
is important. They all believe that for some reason what they're doing, running that race, swimming that race, jumping that bar, whatever they, they believe that achieving success in that thing is important for some reason. And that the result of what they're doing is going to be worth it in the end. Sometimes they interview a gold medal winner and you might hear a statement like this. You're now an Olympic gold medalist. This is a life-changing event. Or they ask a question, how is this going to change your life? I want to suggest that the resurrection of Jesus was a life-changing event. It's a life-changing event. So my question is, how did the resurrection of Jesus change the disciples' lives? I've got four quick observations. Just four little observations from the story that we've read this morning in Matthew 28. First one is this. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus called the disciples to live courageously. Twice, Jesus, uh, the angel says it and then Jesus says it. Do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. And the disciples went and they lived courageously. We just read the rest of the New Testament and it's stories of the courage of the disciples. You think of Peter. Remember just a couple of nights before, Peter snuck in to see what was going on with Jesus and the the trial that the Romans were giving him. And he was too afraid to even own up to the fact that he was a disciple when a, a young slave girl said, aren't you one of the... No! No, not me! And yet he becomes a major spokesperson for the gospel, the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Boldness. Courage. Life-changing moment. We read a little further ahead in, in the book of Acts. It tells us about Stephen. His faith And his boldly speaking out for Jesus leads to his execution and yet he embraces that courageously. Disciple after disciple take Jesus' gospel message to the four corners of the world despite suffering and persecution and execution. Why? Because they knew that the resurrection of Jesus was real and it changed them. It gave them courage despite their circumstances and fears. The second observation is this. You know, the women ran from the tomb with great joy because the resurrection causes you to live joyfully. They had seen the empty tomb, they'd seen their Lord Jesus alive. The rest of the disciples and and the New Testament talks about the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. From knowing that death and sin have been conquered. That Jesus' resurrection means there's a resurrection for all his people. That's why Paul can write Philippians and tell us to rejoice always. That's why James says, uh, consider it joy when you face all sorts of trials. What? 
Nobody thinks of trials and joy in the same sentence. But when you hold to the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. Because joy didn't come from things working out well for people. Their joy, the disciples' joy, didn't come because life was sweet. It came from knowing that even if they lost everything, including their own lives in this world, Jesus' resurrection meant a certainty for their own resurrection, just as Jesus had promised and he had shown in his own resurrection. Jesus' resurrection caused the disciples to live worshipfully. They worshipped him. The women bowed and grabbed his feet and worshipped. The disciples worshipped him. The resurrection crowned Jesus as the one true Messiah and King. He had conquered the greatest enemy of all mankind. He had conquered death. He was worthy of all worship. And worship doesn't just mean singing praise and worship songs. It's so much more than this. I came across this great definition a couple of weeks ago of worship. To express in attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. Attitude or gesture that reflects complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. That's exactly what's going on here. They worship him. That's how the disciples continue to live their lives in complete dependence and complete submission to Jesus Christ. Why? Because his resurrection crowned him as king. So they live in dependence and submission to him. And the fourth observation is that Jesus' resurrection called them to live purposefully. Jesus gave them a task to do, a mission to live for. The power of the resurrection made Jesus the one with all authority. He's the one with power over life itself and he gives the disciples a mission, a purpose to live for. He says, go and make more disciples. Tell people everywhere, in every nation about me, who I am and what I've done. Teach them everything that I've taught you. And know this, and know this, as you go wherever you go, I am with you. The one who conquered sin and death and the grave, I am with you wherever you go. The start of the book of Acts describes the sending of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, whom Jesus promised would come and not just be with them, but be in them. So he truly could be with them wherever they went. And the disciples obeyed. And the reason that we're sitting here today as followers of Jesus is because that purpose has been handed on from one generation to another for 2,000 years. You see, a faithful disciple of Jesus passed that message on to you. And you believed and you're sitting here this morning. You see, if there was no resurrection, if there was no resurrection, there would be no courage over fear. There would be no joy over trials. There would be no reason to worship and no purpose to live for. 
the message of salvation and life in Jesus Christ would have died with him 2,000 years ago. I'm sure you've seen those, um, those corny TV sales adverts, commercials. You know where they, they say, oh, just now if you call up in the next 90 minutes and you buy this, you get also get this and you get this and this and this and, and it's fantastic and it's amazing. Every time I see one, seriously, every time I see one, I'm tempted to ring. They, they do a really good job. I've never bought anything yet. Has anyone ever bought anything? Not good. Uh, I always wonder if I should have. Like I, I, go, I go, no, 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 that's, that's just commercial sales. No, don't do it, don't do it. And then about half an hour later, I'm going, what was that number? Because that knife set will make food prep such a breeze. Those cleaning products will make cleaning fun. That, that doohickey will save me so much time and that whatchamacallit will change my life. There's only one problem and that is that I never buy any of it. So my life just stays the same. Now, I'm not comparing Demtel adverts with the resurrection of Jesus. But my point is the same. Nothing changes unless you get it. Nothing changes unless you get it. So my question is, how does the resurrection of Jesus change your life? How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ change your life? And I want to suggest that it's just the same as what happened to the disciples. If you get it, if you believe it, if you hold to it, the resurrection will call you to live courageously. You see, Jesus' resurrection has dealt with our two greatest fears, death and loneliness. The resurrection has dealt with those. Jesus has conquered death. And his resurrection means that he offers us eternal life. There's no need to fear death because there is life after death. And so you can live courageously believing in him. It deals with loneliness too because he promised that he is with us. Jesus promised not just those first few disciples then uh, in Matthew 28, but all his followers. He promised the presence of, the, of his Holy Spirit in us and with us. When Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, he says, The gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. So as a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be completely on your own and not be alone. You can go home to an empty house knowing that you are not alone. You can be in your darkest places and know that he is with you. So you can live courageously knowing that the resurrection of Jesus has dealt with death and dealt with loneliness. The resurrection calls us to live courageously. The resurrection also calls us to live joyfully. We talked about 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming to live in us and be with us. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, and a bunch of others. Joy is one of them. The Spirit in you produces joy. It's not your circumstances that make you happy. If you don't have joy, you don't need more stuff. You don't need life to work out better for you to make you more joyful. What you need is to know the presence of the Holy Spirit in you in a deeper way. Instead of focusing on what you don't have in life, you need to focus more on what God has already done for you. And you know, there's, there's a big push, a big push in the mental health space around gratitude and how important gratitude is to good mental health. It's, it's funny how the world is just catching up on stuff that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. Being thankful promotes joy. And when we realize that all good things come from God, we have plenty of reasons for gratitude and for joy. And the certainty of God's love for you, the promise of his presence with you, the hope you have in him and the future he has in store for you, that's a great place to start to meditate and reflect on, to amp up your joy levels. See, the resurrection calls us to live courageously and joyfully. And the resurrection calls us to live worshipfully as well. Do you remember the definition I gave? Worship is to express in attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. You know, it's, it's, you say the word worship out there somewhere and people think of church services, don't they? Oh, you religious church services, singing, candles, incense, whatever it might be, worship. Yeah, and they go, oh, no, no, I'm not into worship. I'm not religious. I'm not. Yeah, all human beings love worship. We were built to worship, and we all worship something. We worship sports people or sports teams, musicians, artists, movie stars. We always manage to find something to worship. If it's not other people, it might be nature. It might be certain ideologies or philosophies. We find something to look up to and to admire and to give our lives to. We just do. It's in our nature. And even if it's just simply ourself, we find something to worship. We live for our own pleasure, our own enjoyment, our own comfort. But when you know that there is one who has conquered sin and death and he has all power and all authority. And when you know that that one with all power and authority says that he loves you and he desires a relationship with you, that he gave his life for you so that you might know him and that you might have life. That's someone you can worship. That's someone who is worth, worthy of loving and serving and living for. The resurrection calls us to worship him. 
calls us to live courageously, to live joyfully, to live worshipfully. And finally, the resurrection helps us to live purposefully. There's so many things to live for in this life. So many things to live for. And, And lots of them are good things. Education, career, business, family. It's a good thing. Charities, causes. Life gets really busy and really full very quickly. And sometimes we take this command from Jesus, the, the go make disciples command, and I think, I think we misunderstand it. I think some of us think that the command to go make disciples is simply a command for just a special few, for, for pastors and preachers and missionaries. They are the ones that should go make disciples. But Jesus said to his disciples to go make disciples and to teach those disciples everything that he had taught them. And so I think that suggests that that command to go make disciples is part of the everything that he taught them that he said to pass on to the next. And so the disciples took the command to go make disciples and they obeyed it and they made disciples and they taught them to go make disciples who taught others to go make disciples. And you're sitting here this morning. So the command is for all of us. But sometimes we put the emphasis in the wrong place. Sometimes we put the emphasis on the go part. And and not all of us want to go somewhere else. And I get that. In the original Greek, the go is not the command. The make disciples part is the command. Uh, if you like, the, the best way to translate, or one of the, a better way to translate it into English is actually to say, as you go, make disciples. As you're going, as you're going through life, make disciples. As you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, make disciples. You see, we're all going somewhere, aren't we? At the moment, you're just sitting down, but in a minute, you're going to be going out that door. You're going to be going to a family lunch or to an activity or home or or whatever it might be. You're going somewhere. And then you'll wake up tomorrow morning and you'll go to school or to work or to the shops or somewhere. We're all going. The command is not go and make disciples, but really wherever you go, make disciples as you go. So when you go to work, make disciples. When you go to school, make disciples. When you go to the shops or the library or the family dinner or when you go on holiday or when you're at the footy, make disciples. See, the resurrection of Jesus gives us a whole new purpose, a whole new reason for living. Every encounter we have with another person is a small step or at least is an opportunity for a small step in making disciples. Every meeting, every conversation with another person is an opportunity to tell them or to show them the love of Jesus. Everything we do is an opportunity to be an example of God's love for us. And so we don't just go to work to earn a paycheck. We work in a way that looks like Jesus would work. We don't just go to the footy to cheer on our team. We go to the footy to represent Jesus and to encourage fellow human beings to be their best. 
We don't just go to the shops to grab a few things. We go to the shops to be the presence of Christ to the person on the checkout or the boy collecting the trolleys. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection calls us to live courageously, to live joyfully, to live worshipfully, and to live purposefully. Would you pray with me? Father, we come on Resurrection Sunday morning. We come with our hearts full. We come to worship you. We come to praise you. We come to thank you. Father, my prayer this morning, and and hopefully our prayer, all of us this morning, is that the truth of the resurrection would just grab a hold of us a little bit more. That it would change us. That it would give us that courage, that joy, that purpose, and that response of worship in just perhaps a little deeper way than we've ever had it before. Because as we understand the resurrection, we understand how worthy you are. And for that we do give you thanks. Amen.